You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Verse 18 of chapter 33 of Exodus, Moses makes this request, Lord, show me your glory. Now, if you understand what the glory of God is, if you understand the surroundings of that book and Exodus, then that request becomes even that more, much more of an incredible request on Moses' part. He looks at God, he is communing with God, and he asks Lord, he says, Lord, let me get close to your glory. Lord, let me see your glory. Lord, reveal your glory to me. Now, I believe that there is a growing desire among God's people to know God. Am I right? Do you really and truly hunger for God? Are you growing in that hunger? I sense that from this congregation of believers, that there is this growth with many of you, with some of you there's not, but with many of you, there is this growing hunger, there is this growing desire within you to see the glory of God and to bask in the presence of God, and to get to know God in a more than a superficial way, as Dan prayed, but to know him intimately and to glory in his presence. God's people today in the church worldwide, I believe, because I hear about it, I read about it, I've had opportunity to visit places in this country and other churches and other places at conferences. I hear pastors talking about it. I hear staff members talking about it. I hear church members talking about it, that there is a growing dissatisfaction in the church of the Lord Jesus today with the cold, dead, empty style of ritualistic worship and the things that have been going on for hundreds of years, that there is this growing dissatisfaction among God's people for religious form. I don't hear a lot of amen there, but I think there's probably some amens grumbling down below. But there is this tremendous growing dissatisfaction among God's people for religious ritual, for religious form that is in and of itself is empty and is void of the Spirit of God. And God's people are saying today, I am tired of that. I don't want any more of that. All I want is God. All I want to know is the presence of God. All I want to do is bask in the glory of God. You know what? God desires that. The Lord desires to show his glory. He does. He wants to. He desires to reveal his glory in his people. Now, if God desires it, and if we need it, then why isn't it happening more often? Why is it happening in more a widespread and a rampant way in the church of the Lord Jesus? This morning, I want to attempt to answer that question from Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to cover the entire book of Exodus this morning. As a matter of fact, in summary form, I'm going to have to to get to this point. And because of that, it's obvious that I'm not going to be able to do a whole lot in detail. I just want to skim across the top this morning and get at this thing about why the glory of God was not being revealed in Israel and what happened and what caused the Lord to answer Moses' request. When Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, let me bask in your glory. You know what? God answered that request. Now, before we can get to it, 
We've got to try to define the glory of God. Alan and I talked about that this week. If you have studied anything about the glory of God, you know that theologians and commentators have written literally libraries full of volumes about what the glory of God means. And I'm had no stretch of the imagination going to even touch the hem of the garment this morning, but I'm going to get at a cursory kind of a general definition of the glory of God as Moses understood it in this particular instance in Exodus chapter 33. So I want to begin with a definition of the glory of God. To do so, I have to summarize the book of Exodus. So stay with me for just a moment. Don't go to sleep. You see, from the beginning of the book of Exodus, God had been in the midst of his people. He had been dwelling with his people. He had been leading his people. He had been doing miraculous things in the face of his people. You remember as he led them out of, out of, the, out of the Egypt, out of bondage, that the very first thing he did is he exemplified his power and his presence through his servant Moses as he parted the sea and then as he brought the sea back down upon the top of Pharaoh's armies as they were pursuing. Later on, they had nothing to eat. So the Lord miraculously provided water from a rock again through the hand of his servant Moses. And then Lord, the Lord provided manna, and he provided quail for them on a day-by-day basis, all of the 40 years that they were wandering in the wilderness. And then he invited Moses up to the mountain, and he said, Moses, I have something I want to give to you, and I want to give to my people to lead them and to guide them. And so the Lord gave Moses the 10 words, and in Hebrew they are. They are just 10 words. We know them as the 10 commandments, but in Hebrew they are simply 10 Hebrew words. And then on a day-by-day basis, the Lord is leading his people. He's leading them with a pillar of cloud by day to cover them from the, from the sun. He is leading them with a pillar of, of fire by night. The Lord is moving and is working in the midst of his people. And then in Exodus, he gives them instructions for building this elaborate tent because that's what the tabernacle was. It was just one big, beautiful, elaborate tent. But the Lord had a purpose for that tent. Here was the purpose. He intended to dwell in the very midst of his people there in the tent. That was God's purpose. So he gave them instructions for building this tent because the Lord desired to show his glory, his presence in the midst of the people. But about that time, the people did a terrible thing. While Moses is on the mountain communing with God and meeting with God, the people get distressed down below. They are distressed because Moses is gone so long and they're afraid that something horrible, they've seen the lightning and the thunder, they've heard the thunder on the mountaintop and they're afraid that something horrible has happened to their leader Moses and here they are out in the midst of the wilderness. So they do a terrible, terrible thing. They build an idol. They deny one of the words of God that you shall have no other gods before me and they build this idol, the golden calf and they bow down and they worship that idol. Now later when Moses comes down, And Moses is aware of what happened, and God is already aware of what happened. God says that he's going to do something terrible. He says, I am going to destroy this rebellious and this stiff-necked people. God tells Moses, Moses, get out of the way. I'm wiping them out. I'm sick of this. I'm fed up with their grumbling and their mumbling, and now they've violated my, my, my holiness, my righteousness. They violated my character. They bowed down, and they worshiped this golden image. Moses, get out of the way. I'm fixing to zap this people and just wipe them off the face of the earth. And Moses intercedes. Moses, the faithful shepherd, goes before God in behalf of the people. And in Exodus chapter 33... God responds to Moses' intercession. Moses said, Lord, don't destroy them. They are your people. And so God responds and he says this to Moses. He says, okay, Moses, I won't destroy them. 
I'm not going to destroy them, but Moses, I am not going to dwell in their midst. As a matter of fact, I will spare them, but I will leave them no more. I will send my angel, and my angel will guide them into the promised land, but I will not dwell in their midst, lest my anger and my fury burn within me, and I wipe them from the face of the earth. And this is basically what God is saying. He is saying, I'm going to let them live, but their glory, my glory, they'll never see again. I'm going to let them live, but I will not lead them. I will not guide them. I will not dwell in their midst. I will send my angel and he will do it, but I will withdraw for my glory will not dwell in the midst of this rebellious and sinful people. And even the tent of meeting, which was the, the predecessor of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that had been there with Israel, even the tent of meeting where God would meet with Moses and would meet with those who wanted to see God, even the tent of meeting was moved outside of the camp. And it no longer dwelled in the midst of the camp. It was moved outside. And the people would stand there and they would watch as Moses would go out to meet with God. And they would look longingly at the presence of God because the presence of God had been withdrawn from the midst of the people. But in chapter 33 of Exodus, again, Moses intercedes. And in the process of this intercession, Moses makes a request. Verse 18, he says, Lord, show me your glory. Now, what was it in context do you think that Moses was asking? Moses was asking that the Lord show his presence in all of his beauty and all of his goodness, that the Lord show his presence once again, not only to Moses, but ultimately in the midst of his people. And what Moses is asking is, Lord, prove to me, show me that you have not rejected me and that you have not rejected your people for good. Do this, Lord, by showing me your glory. Let me see and experience your presence once again. Do it for yourself. Do it for me. Do it for your people. But, Lord, show your glory. Now, what is Moses asking? Moses is asking this. Lord, come in all of your goodness. Lord, come in all of your majesty. Come in all of your beauty. And let me see your glory once again. Because you see, Moses had seen the glory of God before. Moses had basked in the presence of God before. But now it's been withdrawn. And Moses is saying, Lord, show us that you have forgiven us by coming and dwelling in the midst of your people once again. Disclose yourself, Lord, to your people again. And Moses asked for it to be restored. You know what? It's incredible. But God honored the request of Moses. He honored the request of Moses personally for Moses to see his glory, but he honored the request of Moses collectively for the people. Now the story is told in the rest of Exodus. That's our survey of Exodus. And the story of the glory of God being restored is told in the rest of the book. Now I have a question. The question is this. It's simple. What moved God to reveal his glory? What was it that moved God to reveal his glory? What moved God today to show himself in the midst of his people? What is it that moves God to manifest himself in the midst of his people? We have to know. We must know. If we are to experience more than just religious form, if we are to experience more than just ritual, but if we are to experience the very power and the presence of God, then we must know what it is that moves God to reveal himself in the midst of his people. Disobedience was the cause 
of the glory of God being withdrawn, what was it that caused the glory to be restored? I think we have a misconception about that. Let me spend just a moment here. Now that we've decided to find the glory of God in general sense as the very manifestation of God in the midst of his people. We have a misconception about what it is that moves God to manifest himself in the midst of his people. Baptists are real bad about this, but I think most churches are. We have this idea and this concept that if we just gather enough good-looking people, enough talented people, enough successful people in one place and under one roof, then God is going to be duty-bound to show himself in that place. And we look at other churches that are like that. We look at places where educated people all get together, flock, birds of a feather flock together. You know how that works. We look at a place where there are good-looking people. We look at a place where there are successful people in the world's eyes, and we automatically say, God's blessing that. Now, I don't find that in Scripture anywhere. But we have this mentality and this attitude that if we just get enough good-looking people, enough talented people, enough educated people together, then God is somehow duty-bound to show His glory in the midst of that. And in reality, often what happens is we attract people who want to be close to something that's successful because everybody does. Everybody wants to be close to something that's successful. And we ultimately maybe attract people a lot of times who are not really drawn to the glory of God, but are just drawn to being a part of something that's moving. We have this idea that if we just build a big enough building, if we just build a beautiful enough building, and we just make it ornate enough on the inside and the outside that somehow God is going to be duty-bound to descend upon that place. But I'll guarantee you that won't happen. As a matter of fact, folks, now listen to this. You know that I am as committed to seeing that facility completed that we've got halfway done over there as anybody. I've worked for seven and a half years, almost eight years of my life to see it happen as the pastor of this church. So I'm as committed to that. I know it's necessary. I know we need it. But I want to promise you something. If the glory of God is not revealed in the midst of his people in a schoolhouse, it certainly won't be in a building that's 21,000 square feet on Interstate 30. It ain't going to happen. Because you see, it's not a building that is going to cause God to reveal his glory. It's not a building that's going to cause God to, to manifest himself in the midst of his people. But that's a misconception that we have. So what is it that moves God? to reveal himself and to manifest himself in the midst of his people. First of all, it begins with desire. It begins with desire. All of the things I'm going to give you, folks, are things of the Spirit, not things of the flesh. Because that's what moves God to reveal his glory. Things of the Spirit, not external things. There is nothing external that will move God to reveal his glory. But the things that move God to reveal his glory are things of the heart. And they're things of the spirit, the things of the inside of God's people. That's what moves God to show himself in the midst of his people. And it begins with desire. Because, you see, before the glory of God is going to come upon your life individually and upon a life of people, a body of people collectively, there must be desire. And it has to begin with someone. Moses had that desire. Moses wanted the glory of God. He wanted to see the glory of God, and he wanted it enough to ask. <laughs> now think about that. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time, if ever, in your walk with God, when you prayed the prayer of Moses and you asked the Lord of heaven and earth, Lord, show me your glory? How many of you have ever asked that question? That's rhetorical. Don't raise your hands. We'd all be embarrassed. 
How many of you have ever asked that question? How many of you have gone before God and got on your face before God even and said, Lord, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to see the glory of God enough to ask. You see, I think that probably the reason that more of the presence of God is not revealed in the midst of his people is because most of us, quite frankly, are satisfied to plod along. That's really the truth. We're just satisfied to do the nine-to-five job, be at home with the wife and kids at night, and come to church on Sunday, and maybe let the preacher walk up and down our back or pat us on the shoulder and make us feel good that particular Sunday pray a few prayers and sing a few songs, most of us, quite frankly, are just satisfied with that. We're satisfied with that. Just plodding along. Moses wasn't satisfied. Now, Moses was still in the grace of God. Moses was still in the, in the, in the good favor of God. But Moses said, oh, it's not enough, Lord. I want the full manifestation of your glory. I want to see it all. I won't be satisfied with anything less. Now, two things characterize the desire of Moses that I hope that the Lord begins to breed this desire in the midst of his people here. And I may be saying something today that is falling on deaf ears because maybe this people is not ready to hear this, quite frankly. I'm your pastor and I love you, but maybe you're not ready to hear this. Maybe I wasn't ready to preach it. But we're in the middle of it, so i got to finish now. A couple of things about this desire of Moses. First of all, it was a single-minded desire. It was not mitigated by anything else. It was a single-minded desire. Look at verse 30, chapter 33, verse 15. Then Moses said, If thy presence does not go with us, then do not lead us up from here. Did you hear that? Moses is asking for the presence of God. God just told him, I'm not going with you, but I'm going to send my angel. I'm going to be outside. You're not going to see my glory. My presence is not going to lead you. And Moses comes to God and says, God, if you don't lead us, then don't lead us out of here. Lord, if you don't go with us, then don't lead us up from this place. Just let us stay in the wilderness and let us die right here. Moses had a single-minded desire. He said, listen, God, I don't want to just get to the promised land. I want to get there with you. See, Moses wasn't just interested in crossing the Jordan and getting into the land that God had promised. Moses said, Lord, I want you to go with us. And if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. Just leave us here. Because God, I'm not interested in going one step without your presence in the midst of your people. Now, folks, the application is so obvious that I hesitate to make it. But as you guess, I'm going to make it anyway. How many of us, how many of us are just satisfied with getting to heaven? But really in our heart of hearts, we're saying to God, but God, don't interfere with me in the meantime. Okay, I got my fire insurance. Get me to heaven. But Lord, in the meantime, don't get in my way a whole lot. You know what? I'm going to glory, folks. I am going to glory, but I want to go with the glory of God along the way. There's much more in me than just wanting to make it on the other side. I really and truly know that I'm going to heaven. I know I'm sealed with the grace of God. I know I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. But folks, 
Quite frankly, I've come to the point in my life that I don't want to go without the glory of God. If God's not going to lead me there, and if he's not going to go with me on a day-to-day basis, then I don't want to go. Now, it's safe for me to say that because I know I'm sealed for security. <laughs> so I can say I don't want to go because God's going to take me there anyway, regardless of what I want to do. Because he sealed me with his grace. But really and truly, along the way, don't you want the glory of God to go with you? That's what Moses said, Lord, I don't want to just go to the promised land. Lord, I want you to go with me. I want your presence on a day-by-day basis along the way on the journey. So Moses had a single-minded desire. Second of all, he had a spirit-motivating desire. Look at verse 16 of chapter 33. Or then how can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not by thy going with us so that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from all the other peoples who are upon the face of the earth? Now Moses was asking this request of God not for his own selfish motivation, not for his own notice, not for his own acclaim, but this is why Moses was asking. He says it in verse 16. He says, Lord, it is your presence that distinguishes us from the nations. And if your presence is not with us, then we are no different from the nations. He said, Lord, don't lead us if you don't go. And if you don't go with us, then we're just like all of the pagan nations around us because it is your presence and your presence alone that sets us apart. And if we don't have your presence abiding in the midst of us, then we are no different from the pagan nations around us. And Moses wanted to be distinguished from the nations around him. He had no desire to be like the nations. He wanted his presence to set him apart. I think we need to understand something here. One of the reasons I believe that God does not show up more often than he does when we show up is because the other six days of the week we have not been living lives that are different. We have not been walking in the presence of God the other six days of the week. And somehow or another, we think that just because we open the doors to the building and we call a meeting at 11 o'clock or 10.50 or whatever it is on Sunday morning, that somehow when we gather together that God is going to be there in our midst. But folks, that ain't true. Now, he's dwelling within every one of us who know the Lord Jesus, and we are the tabernacle of God now. But I'll guarantee you, if you're not walking and basking in the presence and the glory of God on a daily basis during the week, there is nothing that causes God the Father to be duty-bound to release his Spirit in the midst of his people when they come together collectively. And one of the reasons that the Lord does not show up in power in the midst of his people when they come together collectively more often is because, for quite frankly, most of us have been walking during the week, the other six days of the week, outside of the presence of God, outside of the glory of God. And we somehow think that when we come together that he's got to come and meet with us, and he says, forget it. We want to use God. Well, I'm getting away from my notes, so I need to go on. Moses wanted to be different. That's the point. And he said, Lord, it's only your presence that makes us different. And without your presence, we're like the nations, and we don't want to be like the nations. We want to be different. Now, God's people need to desire to be different. I don't mean obnoxious. Oh, man, please, hear me. I don't mean be obnoxious. I've said this a thousand times. God, deliver us from obnoxious Christians. The, the most 
obnoxious person on the world, on the face of the earth, is an obnoxious Christian. <laughs> you just can't get any worse than that. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm just talking about living life on a different level. And it's the presence of God that causes that to happen. And so Moses asked, and God granted. The closing verses of chapter 33 is when God granted Moses' request personally. Now, this is important. And this came to me this week. I grabbed this this week. God granted Moses' request personally before he granted it collectively for the people. That's interesting, isn't it? God revealed his glory to Moses personally before he revealed it again to his people. The desire began with Moses. And so God says, Moses, what you've asked, I cannot do to the fullness that you've asked. In other words, Moses, you can't see my face and live. If you see my face, Moses, it'll kill you. But this is what I will do. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. That's where we got the hymn, the cleft of the rock. He hideth my soul. He said, I will place you in the cleft of the rock, and I will make my goodness to pass before you. I will make my beauty to pass before you. And as God passed before Moses, he shielded Moses' eyes with his hands because Moses could not see the full glory of God and live afterwards. But God gave Moses all that Moses could stand. And that's all that Moses needed, right? God gave all of himself to Moses that Moses could handle and still live and lead the people after that. And so Moses was happy. And then as Moses would meet with God, he would come down off the mountain, remember in the next chapter, and it would say that the, mo the face of Moses would shine, literally shine with the presence of God. <laughs> Have you ever known Christians like that? Where their countenance shines with the presence of God? You see, God granted Moses' request personally before he granted it for the people. And I think that's important because Moses had not worshiped the golden calf. Moses had not walked in disobedience, but Moses had the desire. And it was a single-minded desire and it was an unselfish desire. And so God said immediately, Moses, you have asked it and I will grant it for there is nothing standing in the way. The desire, but two other things were required before God would reveal himself to his people. The second thing is denial. If the glory of God is going to come, what is it that is going to move God to reveal himself in the midst of his people? It is going to be desire. It must be a single-minded desire, and it is going to be from denial. Now, we don't like this one. It gets tough here. But this is true. Moses had the desire, and he interceded for the people. But God, now listen, God tested the people to see if the people desired it. Moses desired it. He'd asked, but Moses hadn't worshipped the golden calf. Moses had not stepped out in disobedience, but the people had. And Moses is asking for the people, and God is saying, Moses, I will grant your request for yourself, and I will even grant it for the people, but I must know that the people desire it. And so the next thing that God does is he requires that the people be willing to deny themselves. Now, God intended to dwell in his people in the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle that he had given his instructions to be built in the early chapters of Exodus. It was this elaborate tent, and the glory of God was going to dwell in the midst of his people there in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle had to be built. And when you read the description of this thing, it's a massive, uh, ornate thing. I mean, would, today would cost millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. It was lined in gold and all of these jewels and all this kind of stuff. That was the way that God said this thing was to be built. Well, the tabernacle had not been built yet. God had just given instructions. So where are the finances going to come 
for the building of the tabernacle. Well, you know, God could say, all right, go out there and zap a few of the pagan nations around and steal all their goods and we'll build the tabernacle with that. That would have been easy enough, wouldn't it? I mean, there were times when the Lord allowed his people as they would conquer one of the nations around them, that he would allow them to take spoils from the battle. He could have easily done that. He could have easily just said, all right, these Philistines over here or these Edomites or these folks over here, you know, my anger is burning against them because they are not dollars. All the gold and silver and all the jewels and everything they've got, and with that, we're going to build my tabernacle. But God didn't do that. He required that the people sacrifice to build the tabernacle. Now, I'm not going to make an application about giving to the building program, okay? Because that is so shallow, and that is not the application that I want to make. So get, get, get that worry out of your head. You need to be doing that, but that's not, that's not the application I'm going to make today. What God is saying is this. If my people are not willing to sacrifice for the building of the tabernacle, which is going to be the place where I'm going to dwell in their midst, then they don't desire for my presence and my glory to be revealed in the midst of them. So he gave Moses this instruction in chapter 35. He said, tell the people we're taking an offering. Verses 4 and 5. Chapter 35. Tell the people we're taking an offering. Now listen, here's an important point. How did the people build the golden calf? At the, mount, at the base of Mount Sinai? Do you remember how they did it? What did Aaron tell them to do? Gather up your jewels. Reach deep. Dig deep. Pull out that billfold. Take off those jewels. Get it all together. They melted it all down and they made this idol, this golden calf that they were going to worship. Now they had been willing to sacrifice for the worship of that idol. God is saying, are you willing to sacrifice for my glory? And if they were not willing to do that, then they did not desire the glory of God in their midst. So how much do you desire it? God's asking the question. Folks, our churches are filled with people who say they want the glory of God but are not willing to deny themselves for it. It's kind of like I said a moment ago. We say, Lord, we want your glory. Father, we want your presence. But I don't want to change my priorities. I don't want to change my lifestyle. I don't want to change the things that are important to me. I've developed this. I'm comfortable with it. Lord, I'd sure like to see your glory. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Oh, we could go on. We could talk about how glorious the presence of God was today. Lord, I'd sure like to experience your presence and your glory. But God, I don't want to change my priorities. Lord, I don't want to deny myself. Lord, I don't want to sacrifice something that I have come to be comfortable with, something that I have come to enjoy. And so the glory of God never comes. A giving and self-denying heart is a heart that is ready to receive the glory of God. A selfish, self-centered, and greedy heart is a rebellious heart, and the glory of God doesn't come. But you know what happened? And this is great. They gave, and they gave, and they gave. And you remember the story, don't you? Moses finally had to come out before the people and say, Stop giving! You've given too much. You've given more than we need for the building of the tabernacle. Glory to God. Wouldn't it be great to have to say that? Wouldn't it be wonderful 
to have to come before you and say, folks, don't give anymore. You've given everything that we need for the next 10 years. Stop giving. But the opposite is true, isn't it? What do we wind up having to do? We have to beg and we have to plead for people to give, not just their finances, but their lives in service to the Lord God. We have to scrounge, we have to scrape. Why? Because we have our priorities in line and we'd like to see the glory of God, but we don't want to change our priorities. We don't want God to invade our comfort zone. We like His glory, but we don't want Him to make us uncomfortable. And so we go through our routine saying, yes, with our mouth we'd like the glory of God, but with our hearts and our lives and our priorities we violate that, and we say, no, we don't really want the glory of God if it's going to cost me anything. And so God is looking at the people and he's saying to Moses, Moses, you have the desire, but they worship the calf. They were willing to sacrifice for the building of this idol here. Are they willing to sacrifice for the building of my house? Are they willing to sacrifice for the building of the tabernacle where I am going to dwell? Let me ask you that question. You're willing to sacrifice for your priorities. Are you willing to sacrifice for God's priorities? We're all willing to sacrifice for the things that are important to our own personal lives, but are we willing to place God's priorities first and sacrifice and deny ourselves for Him? Therein may be the answer of why the glory of God does not descend upon His people more often. Desire, denial, and I'll close with this. Detailed obedience. Now get this. When you read the next few chapters in the book of Exodus all the way to the end, it's some of the most boring reading in the Bible. Except maybe the book of Leviticus. That's really boring stuff. Unless you understand what you're reading. I mean, this stuff will put you to sleep faster than my preaching will. Unless you understand what you're reading. Some of you kind of woke up real quick. Is he talking about me? I mean, it's boring stuff unless you understand what you're reading. What it is, it's the nuts and bolts of the tabernacle. It's the nuts, all the intricate little details of the construction of the tabernacle, the place where God was going to dwell in the midst of his people. And what he's saying is this, Moses, you've asked, you desired. The people have been willing to deny themselves. They have sacrificed. They provided the materials that I have commanded. But now let's see if they will do it just as I command. Just as I command. And that's why that phrase is repeated some 20 times from chapter 35 to the end of the book of Exodus. As you're reading along there, you read this, and they did this, this, and this, just as the Lord commanded. They did this, this, and this, just as the Lord commanded. They put this here, just as the Lord commanded. They put this here, just as the Lord commanded. It begins in chapter 39, verse 1, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 5, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 7, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 21, just as the Lord commanded. 29, just as the Lord commanded. 31, just as the Lord commanded. 32, just as the Lord commanded. 43, just as the Lord commanded. Chapter 40, verse 19, just as the Lord commanded. Chapter 40, verse 21, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 23, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 25, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 27, just as the Lord commanded. Do I sound like a broken record? As the Holy Spirit recorded this, he wanted to impress that they did it. How? Just as the Lord commanded. In other words, they didn't do it their way. They followed God's guideline, his blueprint, down to the last little iota. There was desire, 
There was denial, and now there was detailed obedience, just as the Lord commanded. Now listen, when you do it just as the Lord commanded, you're getting close to the glory. You're getting close. When you respond just as the Lord commanded, out of a heart of obedience, you're getting close to the glory. And so were they. And chapter 40, verse 34, look at what happened. Back up to verse 33. He's talking to Moses, and he said, He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. And then it says, Thus Moses finished the work. And then verse 34 says, Then the glory, the cloud, covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When did it happen? Listen to that. Moses finished. How did he finish? How did the people finish? Just as the Lord commanded. Just as the Lord commanded. And when Moses, Moses finished all of the work, what happened? The cloud covered over the tent, the tabernacle. And what does he say happened? The glory of God. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When did it happen? Why did it happen? What moved God? to do that thing. What moved God? It began with desire. Moses desired it. It begins with somebody. Somebody's got to desire it. Somebody's got to desire the glory of God. Is there somebody here that desires the glory of God? Do you desire it enough to ask? James says, you ask, have not for you ask not. It begins with somebody interceding. Lord, show us your glory. Then denial, Lord, change our actions. Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice for your glory. It's not something I'm just wanting for you to put the cherry on top of my life. Lord, I'm willing for it to be my life. I'm willing to let you change my priorities. I'm willing to let you cause me to deny myself. Lord, show me your glory. I desire it. I'm willing to deny myself for it. And finally, are you willing to do it God's way? Are you willing to pattern your life just as the Lord commanded you see, folks, the glory of God doesn't come because we erect a beautiful building. Oh, we're going to do that. But the glory of God doesn't come because we build an elaborate structure. The glory of God doesn't come because we're a good-looking bunch of folks, and we are. This is a good-looking bunch of people, most of you. And we'll forgive the rest of you. The glory of God doesn't come because you're a talented bunch and you are. The glory of God doesn't come because you're a bunch of good folks, because you are. Again, most of you. That's not going to move God to do something great in our midst. What's going to move God is if we desire it. Enough to ask. If we're willing to deny our priorities for His priorities. And if we're really willing to get significantly detailed in our desire to walk just as the Lord commanded. And when a people does that, maybe we'll see the cloud over the tabernacle, which, by the way, is not a building. 
For he does not dwell in a, in a building made with hands, does he? He dwells within this tabernacle now, right? But wouldn't it be wonderful to see the glory of the Lord cover the tabernacle, which is you, the body, and see the glory of God descend upon the tabernacle, the people of God? I don't know anything else to say. Let's pray.